1: On today's show, the guys talk with Thomas C. Murray, Director of Innovation for Future Ready Schools, and an ASCD best-selling author about his new book, Personal and Authentic Designing Learning Experiences That Impact a Lifetime. We've got an East Initiative update, all that and more up next on EduTech Guys. You're listening to the EduTech Guys, edutechguys.com. And welcome to Edutech Guys. I'm David Henderson. Hey, I'm Jeff Madlock. Yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for tuning in, turning it on, downloading, you name it,
0: turning on, turn it on. Go to the web www.edutechguys.com. You can't miss us. We're out there everywhere, looking back at you, especially on the social media. Just put in at Edutech Guys. I say this every week. I have it actually embroidered on a pillow. Just go out to Google. Type in Edutech Guys. You're going to find us
1: because we're there. And it's, it's gold. And it's actually one of those things like when oh, you yeah, rub you it the wrong way. Hand, the sequence. Yeah. When,
0: it's, a, it's a picture of me. And then you do it the other way. And it says, at Edgy There you go. <laughs> or it's two horses frolicking in a field. And then you go back the other way. And it's, <laughs> it's at Edgy Tech <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. So. That's, that's, Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> because I made it so. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we can do anything we want to. It's our show.
1: It's our show. You can, and you can get one of those pillows at Etsy, I'm sure, somewhere, <laughs> somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Equine Tech guys.
0: Here we go. <laughs> it's going to be a great show this week. Uh, we have uh, Thomas C. Murray. Uh, yeah. Tom Murray's on the show talking about his new book, a uh, really great book, Personal Authentic, uh, Designing Learning Experiences that Impact on a Lifetime. Uh, we met Tom a few years ago yeah. at AVDC, I think. I believe
1: so. In the hallway. We in the were, hall. We were throwing pillows. Tom in the hall, <laughs> as opposed to kids in the hall, and he's not a Dave that I know. Oh, that's a great show, kids in the hall. I know. These mm. are the Daves I know, I know. Mm. These are the Daves I know. It always has to be about you, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> It's all about me.
0: <laughs> hey, listen, if you got any questions or any of that good stuff, please DM us or just tweet out to us. We'd love to hear what you have to say. What you'd like to see on the show, we are booked solid through January. Can you believe that? I can't. So we have lots of folks coming on the show, and we're real excited to have them, and we'd love yeah. to have you on the show sometime. Also, if you'd ever like to just send us a soundbite about your school, um, an update on a program that you're doing, drop out and send
1: it to us. Yeah. Give us love a link. It. Yeah. We'd love to hear what's going on in your school and be able to share your story with everybody else. I think that'd be awesome. And if you enjoy listening to the show or don't, let us know one way or another by uh, heading over to edutechguys.com and there's a link at the top of the webpage for a survey. We want to know what you think, what you feel, what do you like, what don't you like, all that kind of good stuff. So we'll stop the banter and we'll jump
0: right into the uh, interview. How's that sound? Sound good to you? I'm asking you. That was a question directed to you. I was stopping the banter. Oh, I see you're doing there. Hey, we'll catch you on the other side. We hope you love this one. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the edutech Guys. So we're really excited to have our next guest on the show. Yeah, um, we, we haven't talked to him in person in a while. Yeah. So it's really great to have him on the show and talk about his new book and what he's doing for education for students and teachers out there. So here we go
2: gentlemen it is awesome to be with you tom murray here director of innovation for future ready schools kind of in my day job Uh, most importantly though i am a dad of two little ones who are in our public schools here in our great country and so that is a big part of where i get my lens and my view from but it is awesome to be back on the show thanks for having me awesome Uh,
1: absolutely man we appreciate you taking time out of your crazy schedule (laughs) to uh, spend it with us here uh, for a few minutes anyway yeah, so uh, let's, let's jump right into it. So
0: what's new with Tom Murray? What's going down? What's happening in your world?
2: So, you know, no matter where I go in this country and I I fly typically two, three, four, sometimes five times a week. And no matter where I go, what what continues to motivate me is the amazing people I get to work with day in and day out. And it doesn't matter. You know, last week I was with 90 superintendents one day and then 2000 teachers the next day. So completely different audiences in terms of scope of the work that we're talking about. But in the same sense, no matter where I go, no matter what room I'm in, when you're with educators, you're with amazing people. And people will often ask, like, how do you bounce from place to place? You know, yesterday I was in Georgia. Tomorrow I'll be in California and still have the same energy on a Friday that you brought on a Monday morning. Mm. And it's simple. When you're with amazing people, they get you energized. They keep you moving forward. And truly the people are the inspiration for my work.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and I would imagine that part of what keeps you going are the stories that not only you get to share, but the stories that people are sharing with you. Mm
2: yeah no absolutely because you know it's funny when i when I spent all the years that I did in my in the district that I was in, whether it was being a teacher or a principal at a district, we had a lot of great things going on, and you know I was really proud of that work and but as my my scope has changed and now seeing nationally there's things happening in schools that I get blown away by thinking like. Man, I thought I was doing some great stuff in my school. <laughs> yeah. This doesn't even hold a candle in the wind compared to what I just saw, you know. And so it's just it gives me a lot of hope. And no matter where I go, educators are working their hearts out for kids breaking down barriers and just trying to do all they can and it's just it's invigorating it really really is and I don't mean to minimize the real challenges that we have out there Mm -hmm. around things around equity or funding or there's some real world issues there absolutely are but I will tell you and one of the things I just wrote in my new book uh, Personal Authentic I really believe that our greatest hope is far um our, our greatest our greatest uh, hope has far more power than our greatest fear. And so it's just that the hope that I have in educators and the things that I'm seeing keep me motivated and keep me going.
0: Awesome.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the new book, Personal Authenticate. Let's talk about um, what brought you to that. And um, we've been in education a long time. We can all say that. The three of us, definitely. Yeah. We've yeah, been doing yeah. this a long time. And um, we're. it took us a while It didn't take us a while, but you understand uh, for us to define what was uh, personal and authentic, the culture of learning that we have come to know. um, We pick it up because we're in front of a lot of kids and we're around a lot of teachers. But now that we know that and we have the data to back it and we have everything to back it, so that's where your book takes us so that those teachers that are coming right out of the chute can pick up on this right now. They don't have to do like we did and learn to put this all together over three to five to seven to 10 or 15 years, however long it takes an educator to get to that point. Uh, Let's talk about the book and what brought you to realize this is what we need right now.
2: Yeah, so I, there, there's so many, it's a culmination of so many different things. <clears throat> one is I, I get to work with so many incredible educators, like I've shared, and the questions that they ask, the people, uh, what they're wrestling with, the the things that I see, and again, it doesn't matter if I'm working with superintendents or teachers, so many of the same types of things come up. You know, nationally, we're seeing the push back to the whole child, where the pendulum kind of swings one way, you know, five, 10 years ago, it was all about just data, 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 and now we're coming back to really where we need to be around the whole child and valuing the stories within each child. And, you know, and personally it was um, getting to a point where I had a lot of stories that I wanted to tell. And this is, this book is, is, it's unlike any of the other books that I've ever written before, because it's much more story and narrative. Um, You know, my, my first chapter really opens up and if anybody's ever seen me keynote, um, typically I only do it with larger audiences, but I share about my first year teaching and some truly traumatic uh, scenarios and situations that happened, but really helped define my lens as an educator moving forward after that first next year and, you know, when I look back at my first year. Truly, there was days I was driving home with tears streaming down my face as a brand new teacher, wondering if I had the courage that it takes to be a teacher. And through some of those events that I share in that chapter, I will tell you that you know it really changed my lens to refocus my lens on ultimately what's most important and why we do what we do. So I put together something called the Personal and Authentic Framework because I really wanted to come up with practical ways to support educators in the classroom. You know, it's it's funny because on one hand, in the work that I do nationally, working out of Washington, D.C. There's so much stuff out there that's philosophical or 50,000 foot level. And I get it. You know, when I'm working on things like ESSA, you know, you're going to get the high level stuff. But at the end of the day, if it's working with teachers, they want to know what can I do in my classroom tomorrow? And what's something that's not going to cost me any money? You know, maybe we don't have that budget to support it or whatever. So I really did a lot of research and also just a lot from just learning from some of the best people around the country. When I say that, I'm talking second grade teacher, superintendent, or principal, whatever their role might be. And what does it take? to make learning personal and authentic. And I will tell you, see, personal and authentic is the way I've talked about learning for a long time. But what's really interesting is it evolved as an author. And you know, you, you start out by this vision of what you think you're going to write, and then you really end up in kind of a different place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hopefully not what happens when you're driving, but when you're writing a <laughs> book, it's what often happens. You know, and I've always valued like, putting the kid at the center. And I will tell you from that first year on of just understanding that they are the heart and soul of why we do what we do. But you mentioned this culture for learning idea. In that, you know, I've been to some of the poorest places in our country. I'm talking 100% free and reduced lunch. Every child lives in poverty. They ultimately have so little when it comes to resources. You know what I've seen often in places like that? I've seen people that are doing whatever it takes for kids, that are breaking down barriers, that are giving kids dynamic learning experiences in some of the poorest areas around, because they create a culture where people want to be. And so that really creates that um, centered around that learner environment. And so my, my second chapter really focuses on that, of how do we make things personal and authentic? And what I started to know when I, when I um, was writing is I originally was gonna take a look at, well, what are all the ways that we do this? And I really get to that in the book. But then I started to realize, you know when I talk about relationships being the foundation, when I think about my closest relationships with people, it really comes down to with that person, it's personal and it's authentic. And then when I started to write about the culture and I started to think about a culture for learning, well, if I'm a child in that environment, what's personal for me, what's an authentic experience for me. And I started to realize the term really fits the relationship the culture the stories within and the third chapter i write about the hidden stories within and and recognizing the story that each child comes to us with and how truly that's the the story inside the child determines the context in which they learn to so then ultimately really creating this this wheel and the framework that i created of what it actually looks like in the classroom we could talk about some of those pieces if you'd like as well
0: yeah you know that's interesting you you were talking about that you know and it's interesting do you think Coming to that personal authenticate, we all have our own stories that define how we learned in, in our educational journey throughout our education and throughout our teaching. I, this, how do I put this in, in a nice way? The breakdown of, the, of the, the family unit in the United States, in the world, um, it's more needed now than it's ever been needed because um, we might've had a mom and dad at home or a hardworking mom, a single parent family, but the traditions and the culture was different and so, we had those personal, authentic things happening at home also that drove us in the classroom. Even though our classrooms back then were very <laughs> different than they are today, um, and now we see that change. So we're providing it in the classroom. And along that line, like creating that culture of learning at at, at the school, um, it starts with the teacher. So. Let's talk about that, the, you know, your four pillars. Let's talk about the four pillars um, of leadership, interactions, trust, and risk-taking, how that has to change at the school, campus, classroom, teacher level, and what that has to do with the teacher in creating that atmosphere so the students can then get what they need to get out of us.
2: Yeah, so well said. And and part of the reason I started with leadership and one of my subtexts there, it starts with leadership starts with you. And part of that really comes from how, you know, some of the greatest school leaders I've ever worked with, whether it was alongside as a teacher or as, as a principal or when i was at the di- district level, was that third year teacher that just runs through walls for kids every day or that support staff member that, you know, unfortunately often gets paid a few dollars an hour above minimum wage, but yet knows every child and is a total backbone for that building. And yeah. so part of that was helping teachers reflect of, you know, it's so easy to point the finger, it's so easy to say, well, if he would, if she would, and really reflect on, well, like, what does it mean for me? And so helping it to rec- recognize that leadership starts with us. And if you if you receive a paycheck from a school district, you lead kids in some capacity. And and uh, in Learning Transformed, Derek Scheninger and I referred to that as leader by title versus leader by action. And, you know, like going back to that same notion. And so when you take around this culture is how do you lead that? And I really believe, and then I wrote how how like I really believe every one of us either builds culture up or tears culture down just a little bit or a lot every single day mm, and sure. help people to and own those pieces. So then I talked to, um, about like how every interaction matters. And I and I tell a story about, um, you see, I get to do a lot of openings for school districts uh, in August. Last past year, I did like 20 of them. This one interaction in particular that I had, and it actually was after the opening, I was in this airport. And I tell a story early on in chapter two of where it really just hit me that here, I I, I missed an opportunity for an interaction that mattered. And then I changed my mind. I turned around, I went back. And it, it's this emotional story of interacting with with truly a, a hero that had been wounded that I didn't realize that that's what it was at the time. It just looked like a person that was helped, but I was so consumed with myself, and I was so consumed where I needed to be and what I needed that I walked by somebody right in need, and it really stabbed me in the heart because here I had just been motivating teachers and encouraging teachers to make every interaction matter, and there I totally missed an opportunity and passed on opportunity. I felt so hypocritical, mm. and so in turning that around and changing that around, I learned the story of that person, and then you know realizing, gee, I just it's a it's an honor. To even carry this person's bags you know that type of story and so it really hit home with me how every interaction really does matter and then when we look at the uh, going back to the the classroom setting or in the hallways you know when when we're in the hallways are we glancing down at our phones or are we looking at the hearts of kids and, and helping them and so when you talk about that that's another example um the other piece you reference around trust I, I really hit trust and i wrote um, a blog post that corresponds to this section recently when we talk about trust you know trust is everything from a relational end you don't have trust in somebody it it's almost impossible to have that relationship. So when we talk about creating that culture, if that trust isn't there, and so if I'm a teacher and my kids don't trust me, it's going to create an environment where people don't want to be and deep learning just can't occur. But the other thing that I want to point out that I talked about when I touched on trust is it also comes down to trusting in ourselves, which I also believe aligns with this idea of self-care. You know, educators are the people that go and go and go often until they have nothing left. They work so hard throughout the day, they get home and often have nothing left for their own family. So one of the things that i talked about is you know doing whatever it takes for kids putting that in quotes does not mean it comes at the expense of, expense of our own health and mental health mm. and 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 learning and whatnot. And I think that that educators, because educators have such a servant heart, one of the things that I wrote about is that servant heart can come at a fault if all we do is give and give and give and never take care of ourselves in the process. And so when I talk about trust, one of the things is also putting enough trust in ourselves to take care of ourselves, to take those times to say, I'm not bringing that laptop home. I'm going to invest in my family tonight, or I'm going to be present this weekend, and I'm not going to be doing that. And so we talk about that cultural learning and going back to some of those pillars there. it's really one meant to challenge educators to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves in the process, but also to look at it a little bit differently there as well in our classrooms.
1: Well, you touched on something that I think is very key and frankly, is something that um, at least from my experience and my perspective, that is very different about especially this book in particular, but also just your approach in general. You, you know, you you admit you were focused on yourself and you know you you blew by this person and you realized it and you were like oh this was a mistake let me go back let me see if i can you know rectify that situation and that's one of the things that that we see throughout this is not only are you sharing your stories but it's not like a pat on the back look what i did hoo hoo i'm you know awesome it's it's the look what I did, look where I stumbled and fell and, you know, busted out my teeth and busted up my nose (laughs) and I get back up and clean myself off. Yes, but this is how I fixed the mistakes that I made. And I made mistakes. I made mistakes along the way. I'm sharing those mistakes with you, but in a way that I'm I'm hoping that that you as the reader learn from my mistakes
2: yeah no and I appreciate you sharing that I, I will tell you it's really intentional on my end um, a number of years ago I committed because I recognize my own privilege in having a lot of large stages there's you know to uh, on Friday I'll, I'll get to stand in front of 1500 1600 people you know there's days where I get that five six seven thousand people in this massive audience mm-hmm. and I recognize my my privilege in being able to do that and so in saying that I committed a number of years ago that I will never stand on a stage just like here. I will never write a book that sits there and pats myself on the back. Mm -hmm. I won't do it. I refuse to do it. Number one is because to me, I value humility and I can't talk humility. And then not practice it as well. Number two, I know when I'm at something like a conference or if I'm listening to a speaker and somebody's up there standing or even a book and it's like, look how well I did it. Look how well I did it. Mm -hmm. You start to naturally make all of these excuses of why you Mm can't. And at the school level, it's like, like, well, if I had a PTO that would support it, I could do it. If I had a principal that actually right. did something, I could do it. If I had a if I had that superintendent, I could do that. And you make every excuse you can. But what I've found in working with people, whether it's superintendents or whether it's teachers, people respect humility and people respect vulnerability. So I will tell you, it is very different throughout the book. And I am very, very vulnerable. I mean, I reference my wife and I having a miscarriage and then having another miscarriage when I'm talking about the hidden stories within and mm-hmm. you know, if I, and, and remembering walking back into the hallways of schools being like if they only knew if they only understood and i will tell you that's that's uber personal and it's uber vulnerable yeah. but people relate to the vulnerability and i will tell you the emails that i've gotten the messages that i've gotten on dms of twitter the tears that i've seen um, the, that people have shared because of the connections that it's made personally has meant more to me than i could ever truly have dreamed that would have happened and i think open up yourself to that vulnerability and sharing your own failures you know recognizing i work nationally recognizing i often get those things, it'd be so easy to get this this egocentric head of you know of like look at how well I did it. Right. And to me, that is what I despise when I'm on the other end of it, whether it's a speaker or an author. And so, just being vulnerable and just being real, people relate to it. And so, you know, if I put myself out there and I'm vulnerable, and it can help somebody recognize, you know, like their own v- being vulnerable is important. And I share that throughout the book a lot of times where I was a principal and I made the wrong call mm-hmm. or I did the wrong thing, and I. Called Hauled myself out to a teacher. I'll tell you, those are not easy because right. I'm putting myself and my mistakes out there. But in the same sense, if that helps a principal be more vulnerable in front of their staff, or if that helps a teacher open up some vulnerability in front of their own kids, then for me, it's worth it. I'm willing to put myself out there to help other people. But I will tell you that that ego and that mindset of pride is to me one of the largest turnoffs. And if I'm going to say that publicly, I can't turn around and model something different. And so, exactly. modeling vulnerability and humility is super important to me. Yeah,
0: yeah. You know, that makes you jump straight to chapter seven, you know, the uh, creating that legacy, leaving that legacy. And you talk a lot about failing forward and resilience and perseverance. And, you know, that's that's not just about being a leader for a school or a school district. That's about being a leader in your classroom. It's about being a leader for those kids. And I think that you uh, you touch on that really, you know, all throughout the, the book and then you, you culminate it there. I'm, I know I'm jumping very, very to the end. But that's what you do. You actually bring it all together. But it's very evident at the end that that's what you were doing the entire time you were leading to that point. And that was I don't know if you meant to go in that direction, yeah. but you did. Yeah, no, I, I, did. <laughs> I, I tried
2: to plan it out that way. But, you know, and part of that is is having. And one of the things that I really believe is I think and I know biologically it's not true, but I believe the type of people that get into education are almost wired to be perfectionists. We expect ourselves as teachers for that lesson to go perfect that next day. We put our lesson plan together and we want it to go exactly. The way it was, or we're running some in-service day as an administrator. We expect it to be perfect, and the moment it's not, we get we come down hard on ourselves, or we get discouraged. And and you know, it, it's part of recognizing, and realizing that that things are going to fall apart, and things aren't always going to be easy. And maybe this is your 25th year doing it, but with a new crop of students, you get totally different results of what you weren't expecting, and that's okay. And that's called being human. And part of my motivation in writing that is to encourage principals of like, don't forget where you're. Came from. If I'm a principal that walks into a classroom and observes a lesson that was really well planned but doesn't go so well, remember what it's like being in that third year of teaching, and remember what it's like when things didn't happen your way. Because it's so easy to be a principal to walk in and just pick things apart. Well, you know, you spent two minutes and thirty eight seconds on this question. <laughs> yes. Only one. You no, know, and it's like you know. First of all, have a heart and remember where you came from. Yeah. But sense, have the mindset of failing forward. Because if I'm an administrator and I'm talking about it, it's that vulnerability, it's that perseverance, because being an administrator can be an amazingly lonely island. And how do we be vulnerable in front of our staff, to build that culture, to build that community, ultimately at the end of the day, because that's what we wanna to model to kids. And so my last chapter is also really about leaving that legacy. And the reason I've gotten so many people that have mentioned the cover of my book being the, the fingerprints and the and the heart shape there, and that's very intentional, is I, I make the analogy throughout the book, how uh, educators get to leave their fingerprints on those they serve for generations to come. But I say, you know, I really believe that somebody's legacy is not gonna be based on on the content they taught, but really on how well they served. And so it's to remind us why we do what we do, to come at it with a servant's heart, but to remind ourselves to take care of ourselves in the process, to make learning personal and authentic so it can be the most relevant it can be for the children that we serve, to give them the greatest opportunities that we can, to break down things like equity barriers. It's far easier said than done, but when we look at traditionally marginalized groups in our country and those folks of how to help them, because at the end of the day, it is about loving and caring about kids loving and caring about each other as colleagues and professionals mm-hmm. to stick together, to have each other's back so that we can support our kids in the work that we're doing. And the educators not losing sight of the legacy that they get to leave. And one of the, the very first words in my book are the work is hard, but our kids are worth it, and it 's not losing sight of our why and our purpose and the work that we do yeah
0: awesome exactly thank Man. you thank you for the sound bite yeah <laughs> and,
1: and, and we could talk for so much longer about everything going on uh, with you with the book, but uh, unfortunately we're going to have to wrap things up, but... Well, I want to make sure we end to let everybody know that you're coming up uh,
0: AESA. Yeah. You're the keynoter at AESA this year in Phoenix.
2: I am. I believe that's in a couple of weeks. Uh, it is. Yeah, uh, it we, is. Yeah. We,
0: we do a lot with that group, and we're, we're real excited for you. That's good. Yeah. That's, a, that's a really neat group of people that are running all those uh, educational service agencies. Mm-hmm. That's that, Yeah,
2: you? they absolutely are. Well, I look
0: forward to seeing you out there. Cool, man. So if everybody wanted to get in touch with you, pick your brains, steal your ideas, get the book, all that kind of good stuff, what's the best way they can get in touch with you?
2: Sure. If you take a look at my website, thomascmurray.com I point uh, in a lot of different directions. And part of the reason I would point you there is with the book, I spent a few months curating every resource that I knew that I would turn people to. All the videos I use mm-hmm. and keynotes and workshops and trainings, about a hundred different articles, downloadables, all totally for free. And I, I share that even if you don't have a copy of the book, yeah. check it out. It's com slash authentic edu. And it'll point you to just lots of tools and resources you can use for your class or your staff and that kind of thing there as well. I'd start there, but uh, um, I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest. Basically, most most of them all that are out there would love to connect, would love to collaborate. We're in this work together, and it's an opportunity um, to, to be alongside amazing people like the educators listening to this show.
0: Awesome. Tom, thanks again for coming on the show. It's good to see you again, and good to talk to you.
2: Absolutely. An honor to be here. Thanks, guys. Hi
1: there. I'm April Jackson, and this is your East Update. This week... We hear from East students at McCrory High School about their experience in teaching and participating in Team Builders.
3: My name is Nancy and I'm from McCrory High School. My name is Kelly Dozier and I'm also from McCrory High School. My name is Bradley Scarborough and I'm from McCrory High School. My name is Layla Hedden and I'm from McCrory High School. And we did Team Builds with the facilitators today. We all did different ones to show them how they worked. And How they can take take them back to their
2: classrooms and do them with their students. How
1: was it being on the other side of things? You being the person teaching the facilitator.
3: I didn't like it. (laughs) I didn't feel like they were going to listen to me because I'm so like so much younger than they are so I was just sitting there thinking how am I going to tell them how to do this stuff without them thinking I'm trying to boss them around and so I had a really hard time trying to figure out how to tell them what to do without being bossy, I guess. <laughs> and it made me know. realize how frustrating it can be to be a facilitator. Because whenever I was doing my team build with some of the facilitators, they like wouldn't listen to me, and they would still like I would say don't do that, and they would do it, and then I would say don't do it again, and they'd still do it. <laughs> and so it just like makes me realize how important it is to like listen and follow directions, and how much easier it'll make everything and encourage your classmates yes. to do the same. <laughs> one of my favorite team-building activities and it's not one that we did today. Um, our facilitator facilitator gave us like packets of puzzles and each puzzle had like a few pieces from a different puzzle and you wouldn't know it until you started to build it and then you'd have to go over to other groups and find your missing puzzle pieces and I kind of took it as like you're not going to know how to do everything and that you'll have to go branch off and talk to people and get them to help you and collaborate with people because other people may have what you need that you don't have. I think that team builds just in general, not one specific one, but in general, they help you learn a lot about the people that you're working with. Um, we have a day at school and it's called Diversity Day, is what we called it one year. Are you and so we got to do team builds with people from all different grades and not just the people in East. And it made, you, like, it made me really realize that everybody's so different and you can't, it's like it's hard to just judge somebody whenever you don't know them because after working with them all day long, I learned so much about people that I didn't even know. And you think you know a lot about them because we come from a really small school and you think you already know everything that you can know about them, but um, it kind of brings out a different side of them that they really don't show just in the hallways.
1: If you're interested in learning more about East, visit our website at eastinitiative.org or Follow us on social media at The East Initiative. I am April Jackson, and this has been your East Update. Oh, thank you so much to April Jackson and the folks over at East for providing the East Initiative update every week for the show. We enjoy hearing what's going on with their program, with the students who are in East, the teachers, all that good stuff.
0: Oh, I like the way you say, oh, every time we come back out of it.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's so cool. (laughs) Every time. We learn something new every time. Oh, that's just, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get it. Oh, (laughs) no, it's not right. It's not right? No. I don't know.
0: But I have to tell you, oh, thank you to the East Update guys and uh, April Jackson the crew. They always give us something great. And uh, if you don't know about East, don't forget to visit them on the web, www.eastinitiative.org. And you can find them on social media with that same handle, East Initiative. Or you can check ours. We, we tweet out a bunch of stuff about them. We do. Or just go to any of our podcasts because the links are in the uh, profiles. There you go. woo woo Woo-woo. Hey, we hope you enjoyed the show today. We want to once again thank Tom uh, Murray for coming on the show. Yeah. And uh, you have an opportunity to see Tom. Don't forget to visit his website. Um, it's it's out there on the old interwebs. It's thomascmurray.com. And you can find out where he's going to appear in his appearances and where he's keynoting and all that good stuff if you get a chance to do that. And don't forget to pick up his book. Um, it's You can get it at Amazon. Yeah. Uh, can, can you can pretty much get any book at Amazon. But, yes, well, you can true, get it at
1: Amazon. That's right. You can get his book specifically, specifically. at Amazon. And I'm pretty excited. To be able to, uh, uh, I, I'm going to be able to see him at AESA, which is in Phoenix this year. Great place to be the first week of December. Just going to throw that out there. Um, but uh, hopefully, I'll get to uh, catch up with him live and in person. Maybe we'll get a a pic and send it out to everybody. Oh yeah, in right, a nice little interview, just a quick thirty oh, seconds. True. Maybe we can you know, sound a bit. Stick a microphone in his face. Hey, Say something. See. <laughs> Say something funny. <laughs> it's the worst. Say something funny. Yes. <laughs> you know,
0: three clowns riding <laughs> on a flying pig. I don't know what's funny. I don't know. Hey, listen, it's been another one of those shows. It's always one of those shows. We hope you've enjoyed it. Don't forget to visit us on the web, www.edutechguys.com. And you know what? I'm Jeff Madlock. I'm David Henderson. And we'll catch you next time.
1: You've been listening to the EduTech Guys edutechguys.com. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added
0: into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings.
1: If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training